The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Hello, good evening. You are listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is me, Simon Tishko, bringing you the very first of the autumn season of Isotopica. And all of that after a very long and strange and complicated summer, I think you'll all agree, at least from a political point of view. Um, the last edition of Isotopica, we ended with... A nice conversation with Roger Hallam, founder of Extinction Rebellion, on his second visit to us here on Isotopica. And since then, things have moved apace along those themes. Yet, I think about 20 minutes after Roger Hallam left the studio here uh, at Isotopica, I sent him a text to say I'm basically back hiding under the table because increasingly I find myself driven to distraction to the point that my normal probably self-indulgent practice as an artist seems to have less and less and less weight it's a curious thing and something that mm, a lot of people especially those people who have actually given up their jobs to work full-time with Extinction Rebellion have found themselves in and I've had a little, well, various bits of activity around Extinction Rebellion over the summer. One thing that we did was organize a local Heading to Extinction talk, which is kind of like the standard introduction to the climate emergency and Extinction Rebellion, which has been given all across the country and in fact all across the world at the moment in church halls uh, theatres, etc., etc., of various sizes, and um, it was a very interesting event. It was actually quite small for what I expected, but it's basically here in Parsons Green, and you know, it's like a little recruiting exercise. And what I'm thinking of doing, because these issues I'm talking about, where the very notion of sitting in my studio practicing as an artist aiming things for billionaire collectors across the world who contribute more than their fair share of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere leaves me feeling less and less and less secure on my path um it reminds me well in discussion it came up i thought of cornelius cardew who famously turned his back. In fact, he denounced his previous avant-garde work uh, with a scratch orchestra and his work with um, Stockhausen as being decadent and part of the imperialist project, dedicating the second phase of his career to socialist folk songs and working with the people. And of course, today, None of that work is remembered and none of it had that much impact because that was the period that led directly to the birth of neoliberalism, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan and the utter and unforgivable mess that we're in today. So am I going to do a Cornelius? I don't think so. There's got to be a better way. And so to take that notion forward, I'm thinking of organising... Um, a heading to extinction talk probably at Beaconsfield Gallery in Vauxhall which is 
as you possibly know if you listen to Istopka, one of the galleries I quite often work with. Um, I'm thinking of organising this talk with a view to people from the arts actually coming along to listen to the talk, to consider the implications and perhaps to start off a really interesting discussion afterwards. And of course, the invitation will be very much open to listeners of Resonance 104.4 FM as you're very much a demographic that I want to talk with. I think we need to dialogue. Do you? If that interests you and you've got anything to say about that, do feel free to contact me via the website being www.theculture.net and we'll start up some kind of conversation around that and hopefully in the next month or two I will organise a Heading to Extinction talk. Um, the latest news on that being yesterday, Roger Hallam and five other people were preemptively arrested, which means this is kind of thought crime or, or not so much thought crime. That's actually been disingenuous because what they did was announced and told the police. In fact, they phoned them up. They went to meet them and said, we're going to do this. We're going to commit this crime over the next few days. And we'd just like you to know. And what they were doing was flying or intending to fly toy drones little plastic toy drones um, within the exclusion zone around Heathrow Airport, drawing attention to the fact that Heathrow is considering the most major extension of its operations, which will become the most carbon-intensive project in the whole of Europe at a time where all carbon-intensive projects, in fact, every form of carbon emission, we should just be stopping. There's really no other way to deal with things in the very, 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 very short time space window we have left to actually make any difference for the future of the planet. Is that serious? It really is. And when I say that to myself, I think this is science fiction. Then when I realise it's not science fiction, I hide under the table. It all makes perfect sense to me. Anyway, Roger Hallam was one of the people that was preemptively arrested for what they were intending to do. You know, God forbid that the privilege should be prevented from taking flights around the planet, um, causing more emissions per person than many people in the third world who, like, with the Bahamas, who has just actually disappeared more or less off the map, would admit in a lifetime. Anyway, I seem to have started the season of Isotopica ranting. What a surprise. So, to counterbalance that, I've been making a few gentle and haunting, I hope you'll find, field recordings over the summer. And today, I think we're going to do a field recording Isotopica some evocations, some sounds, some ambience, some haunting and ghostly piano invocations from an old friend Julian who actually tells us about the invocations in an overheard conversation a little later. And the whole of today's edition of Isotopica is going to be underscored by the sound of a possibly 200-year-old grandfather clock within which I hit a Zoom recorder for an afternoon and have a very nice long tick-tock, tick-tock, which, I guess in the context of the rant that starts today's edition of Isotopica, draws our attention to the fact that time is running out.
It is. It's no, no, it's a, but it's a tune. There's some notes that stick. Yeah. So yeah. You have to stick. But it's right. Yeah, it's got a nice sound. It does, and it's really nice playing in the room, I might. Yes, it's very nice. I don't know how to use it, so it does, I mean, I don't know. Oh, it sounds lovely, Julian, you play. You played a little bit of Summertime. Oh, yeah, I can play Summertime. I don't really like playing. I don't really know how to play it. Songs. No, I used to but how did you? Oh right, so you were taught when you were younger. No, I never did the piano. I did the violin when I was little. You know, and then I liked playing the piano, and then I liked to sort of play kind of you know popular, not popular, like, like sort of little jazzy things. Yeah. Little jazzy things. And. Um, so you sort of taught yourself. Yeah, because I actually acquired. Um, I acquired a piano, a piano when I was, um, when my, ma my father played the piano, so I always listened to him. Mm -hmm. But he tried to make me learn lessons, but I just didn't enjoy it. No. So in the end I sort of started the fiddle, which is quite difficult. Yeah. 
Because you've got to hear yourself into the nose. And it's physically difficult, you know, because you have to hold it in strong, you have to hold it, you have to... And, you know, if you lose practice, yeah, then you're really difficult. out. It, you know, it's not the piano you can come back to and you can refine some of the chords and stuff, but the violin is really, you've got to get the fingering right, and if it's not, it sounds horrible. And apparently, if you want to do good sight reading, it, the violin is the one to be taught as a young child, because you mm -hmm. have to hear where the exact note is. sound, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. You have to hit it right, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing, actually. Because with the piano, you just hit the note, and there it sees. Yeah, you've got it, yeah. So you acquired a piano? No, what happened, it's a very nice story. When I moved, when I was squatting in Islington, in Kensington Street, I was with a guy called Martin, who was a sculpture student, had finished sculpture, so he didn't have a job. Mm -hmm. And he was doing some work for uh, stupid things, making things with a mold, with a friend, and so on and so forth. At one point, um, he, he, the guy didn't pay me money. So he said, you know, he owes me like, I know, a ridiculous amount, like three pounds or whatever it was. In the and so he said, could I come around with him? Just to give him moral support, not to be physical. But So we went around to his house. And he said, look, you know, you owe me three the guy had no money, obviously, and he had this sort of also spotting of empty space. And it was sort of the beginning of winter, and he had a, a, a baby grand. Wow. And he started to take the top off, oh, and, so, no. and he was going to burn it. Oh, in the my So we were talking like that, and, and I said, what are you doing Oh, it's a bloody piano, you know, I'm going to burn it because it's going to keep me oh, warm all winter. So I said, well, you owe Martin money, you know, can we take the piano in exchange, you know? So he said, yeah, yeah, great, because he didn't want it. You can get it out of the house. Yeah, so then, um, <laughs> then uh, we said, okay, that's a deal. I said to Martin, I'll, I'll, you know, I like the piano, I want the piano, so I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a few quick can so, so we all sorted, and then we got these guys called, in those days we had something called Gentle Ghosts, we remember Gentle Ghost. Yeah, yeah no, I used to time out and yeah, spare yeah. rib and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Gentle Ghost used to be this kind of slightly hippie kind of group who did all things for you cheaply. Mm. But they were usually totally stones, they couldn't do it. So you phoned them up, Gentle Ghost, said, I've got a piano to move. And about an hour later, this really weedy stone guy comes up, oh, very God. skinny, like, hi, you know, like, and he'd say, hi, I come to help you move. Piano, is it? I see. So you look at it and think, well, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not even that right. And he came with a very beaten up um, Volkswagen van, so you couldn't, you couldn't carry a piano in it. So we, so he sat down. You know, whatever they did in those days, they rolled the joints. And he sat down. Nothing happened. And you know, etc. And obviously couldn't do it. And then the, anyone went down the van and start, etc. But anyway, then luckily there was a greengrocer next door, and indeed, so I went to the greengrocer and I said, you know, saying, do you have a van you could rent, or, you know, because they often have these trucks. Yeah. And he says, yeah, no problems, I'll let you use the van. And he called his son, and his son was like this giant, you know, literally, enormous guy. And he came down the stairs and he, yeah, he helped him with the piano, basically could lift the piano by himself. Mm, got it onto the back of his, you know, truck, the vegetable truck, yeah. and then we took it. So. So we had it in the house in Islington for while I was there. So I started to play it a lot. 
and people came and played it because it was a very, very nice sound. He saved it. Saved it from the fire. But then the next time, when we left the spot, and I left the spot, the spot was taken over by um, punks, which who were very nice. The punks were very nice, much nicer than the other ones. And, yeah, because the punks were all for, you know, more, they're more peaceful, right? They weren't fighting people and stuff. So the punks took it over, and I went back like three or four months later, and I said, you know what, um, I was going to try and recuperate my piano, and they said, oh, there's no piano here. Oh, no. So we looked everywhere, couldn't find a piano. And, and, I, you know, and I went and I sat in the corner, because I was sitting in my business, I sat in the corner, and I was putting my hand on the and then I realized that what they'd done, they'd taken the legs off the piano, <laughs> They'd screwed the legs, they pushed the piano into a corner because they made a kind of piano shape. They'd thrown a mattress on and cushions and they made it a and kind of bed, bench. Bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was the piano. And there was the piano. They took it and they said, Oh, there's my piano. They said, oh, yeah, we never knew it was a piano. <laughs> so then I took it and, and I took it back, but then I realized I couldn't get it in my house. And luckily I had um, a neighbor, Paddy. Uh, an Irish fellow, and he said that he was he had a friend who was in the music business looking for a piano, and I said, oh, well, let me sell it for 50 quid or whatever it was. Yeah. So he, they found a buyer, and it turned out it was Kate Bush, who, you know Kate Bush? The of scene? course, yeah, I so love Kate Bush. Bush. I still love Kate Bush. Bought it for a studio up in North or something like that. So I sold it for 50 pounds. But then the other kind so of... Kate Bush? Yeah. So, so it went up there, was, it had a very nice, really nice sound. So I was really regretting, but it was, you know, the place I was living in was just too small for, for grand, baby grand. But the, the amazing thing was that the house I bought in Brixton off the Acre Lane, um, where I couldn't get this piano in, opposite there was a little lane and there was a derelict factory and it was Collard and Collard, which was the maker of the piano. So it was the old factory that had made the piano. That's it was weird. Called Collard and Collard, yeah. So the old That's Victorian. destined for that piano. Yeah, yeah. And it taught you how to play because you play very nicely. No, I think it didn't. Take, just that um, I had a friend called Sam who played, who was like amazing improviser. You just come in and you you sing a hum a song and you could play all the Beatles and all the you know he just he could just do it. it was, he was like a total genius. Mm. But he'd done I think he'd learned classical mm. and I haven't really done classical, so I can play badly. But I, so then I try and find the sounds that you know like chords that sound nice and then things come to your head and so on. But you but, you made it was very beautiful. I mean really. You could make a lot of sound with that piano. Yeah, it has a nice resonance for certain kinds of, um, you know, putting the chords Styles. together and, you know, doing something like that. But there was a time, and this was really miraculous, because when I lived in Chile, um, in... Uh, How long were you in Chile for? A year and a half, oh. about a year and a half. And it was kind of revolutionary time, and... Um, when, when was this? Just before... Um, it was in, I went in June 1972. Yeah. 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 I went with a friend of mine called Jackie. What? And um, at some point, um, we got to know this place that had a bar in the centre of town. In Chile? In Chile, yeah. And it was run by, um, it was run by Uruguayans. Um, but the Uruguayans were a very dodgy group who, um, who we learned later were 
either ex tupamaros that's the, the groups that you know in in Argentina before the the, the military dictatorship yeah. in Uruguay and in Argentina they had these leftist groups inspired by the Cuban revolution you know yeah. taking up the guns and you know robbing banks and what stuff and, and you know putting people in arms and these were the Tupamaros these were ex Tupamaros who had fled to Chile it's a new left-wing place to go and so on facing repression so they ran this bar and on the weekends they would go off shooting I don't know practically shooting anyway but they had in the bar uh, they didn't have many clients, but we got very friendly with them because there weren't many Brits around, and so we were a bit exotic. So we went into the bar, and they had a piano. And I haven't been able to find out who it is, but the piano belonged to a very famous jazz, US American jazz, black jazz musician who had committed some crime in the States and had ended up in, in Chile. And I, but I never we just seen, have to look up. No, but I look. I've been hunting for the name of somebody. I haven't ever found his name, but I know that that was the story attached to this piano was that it belonged to a really you know famous jazz, jazz black jazz. Uh, it's a tradition, though, wasn't it? Because um, the who's it? Not Jesse James. Well, a lot of them fled. The Sundance kid. Well, that's good. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they went to Bolivia. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all of these kind of American villains going yeah. to yeah. South yeah. America. It's lovely, lovely story. But the, the remarkable story was, that I, of course, you can never tell. Is that because I tinkled away at the piano, they said, "Oh, you can play, and we'll like, give you a drink now." Yeah, nice. So I would sat and tinkle away at the piano, but. What I felt, well, this is where you have to stay with it, having whiskey or something, whatever they gave you. Oh, I'm not used jazz, to spirits. It took over the music. It was like the piano played the music. You didn't have to play it. It, oh, it fetches the music. It was really. How amazing. Yeah, because I never. It just made you never learned. Yeah, it just played all these things that sounded really good. Now, then you can wow. say, you'll probably smash because they kept on, you know. They, no, you oh, were in tune with the vibe. Well, somehow the piano. the piano took over and, and actually helped you to. Play to play something nicer, because they nobody really said, you know, you go now. <laughs> so just take it away, you know, like. Oh, so amazing. So you set a lovely atmosphere. I don't know. Yeah, it was fit. Now I think about it, I think probably you were drunk. You know, like that's the explanation you had. And so of course you think you're doing everything marvelous. Well, no, I, I found I couldn't play the piano after. I couldn't. I wasn't any good once I got drunk. Yeah, but me, I never drink spirits. So when I have a like, when when I was when I'm given spirits, I just can't. Cope, so it's not really, you know, I, I probably was thinking I was in cuckoo land, but yeah, it's sort of thing. But anyway, it, oh, it, I played it for, and it was really like a very strange feeling that, that, that I was, that it was feeding me, helping me to play or something like that. It was actually playing for me. I was not, I was just an instrument of the piano. It's really beautiful. Yeah. My, my, I, was, I was thinking about this, you know, the psychogeography stuff. It's the thing that goes back to the situation You've got people, it's about the.
I'll never read that. Well, I can't read my writing. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I, I, I do it digitally, but you think I'm just yeah. texting Facebook Well, I don't mind something. if you're doing it, if you're doing that. That's what students do in seminars, they do it on the phone. Yeah. I don't really mind, I mean, in lectures, I don't really mind if you think they're just taking it. Also, some of them can't write by hand anymore, they can type. Yeah, it's true, I'm, prob I'm it probably you, like you, that. I don't mind how you do it, it's all right. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to make a point. It's because the the, mm. the the ideas you were throwing in there. So many ideas there that yeah, actually bounce up. No, 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 no. That's, seriously, <laughs> don't, oh, ever yeah. don't, don't, don't ever apologise. Don't 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 ever apologise. I know. I can, I can tell. Wrong, I'm, yeah. I'm suddenly feeling all serious. It's uh, kind of. Um, well, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, another problem I've had. Oh, wait, I mean, there's lots of problems about this. So one. Problem. One problem is you could go well. Art's become abstract art, especially is trivial and just a commodity. You know how do you sort that out? If you say political, or you, you want things to be different, so you can write about it and polemicise it, which you do as well. But why are you doing these paintings? Well, I I think partly I'm doing these paintings as I said earlier because it's a form, it's a model of freedom in capitalism that no one tells me how to make the paintings. So obviously I'm influenced and all that, but I can do what the hell I like in the paintings. And you could argue, and this is sort of coming out of the philosopher Adorno, who I'm very interested in, uh, one of the Frankfurt lot, that in a, well, in a corrupt, well, in a complex uh, chaotic society, complex abstract paintings might mirror the complexity and disorder of the society. That's one type of line he used. So he thought the more difficult the art will, the artwork was, the more true it was in a way. Rather than uh, Lukas just saying, "Oh, show it how it really is," you know, realism like TV. You know, Mrs. Smith did this, then she did that. That's a romantic idea of simple realism because realism is a model of 
picture making and, vi and filming and writing is another ideology. It's not neutral. It's the one that the, the, cap the capitalist uh, system uses to keep things in order. So they show an image and then the text goes with it to tell you this is the right kind of thing. Sure. And can I say a bit more about that? Of course. Right. No limits, Peter. Right. No limits. One thing Terry Atkinson <laughs> used to say a lot, and I totally agree with him, but it's in Roland Barthes. Well, there's a fantastic short essay by Roland Barthes called Rhetoric of the Image, all about this, right? So what Roland Barthes says, he basically claims this. Now, people disagree. Artists, often who are not bright, disagree with this, and I think they're wrong because they think art speaks in, in itself, which, and it's a language which it isn't. Right, so, um, Roland Barthes says that all images, whether they're a photograph, painting, drawing, what else is there, you know, um, any digital images, any film, any image you can think of, any vis cartoons, is what he calls polysemous, which is a word for music, meaning many voices, mm -hmm. meaning it's open to lots of interpretations. And Atkinson, I don't think Atkinson's any kind of direct follow of Bart, but a lot of people who thought about this would, would come to the same conclusion. Images, visual images, are open uh, to, to lots of readings. And I've heard Atkinson, when he was talking about his work in the public talk, saying he thinks there's as many readings as there are, pe as there are ones you can imagine mm. for an artwork, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how do you control readings and interpretation? You do it by what's called language, conventional language. So an advert, uh, I'm sorry, an example you should give students who was an advert, right, that I've made up, but it probably exists, or a version of it exists. So you see, you see on television an advert, and it's like a beautiful Italian mountain, and it's sunny, and there's a long road, and there's a very expensive Jaguar car, you know, coming down, and there's all this music. If you stick the voice, a voiceover on it, or a caption saying, freedom, this is freedom, you know, having this new brand new Rolls Royce or car, you know, whatever car, luxury and freedom, you you can read it one way, it, it uh, directs the, the text, directs the reading of the image in that way. If you stick the word, instead of freedom, you put greedy bastards ran over my kitten and drove off, you'll have a different reading of it. And that, I think, is, a, is true, that the linguistic supplement, if it is a supplement, to an image changes how we see the image. And there's no intrinsic meaning in the image. Now, some psychoanalysts might disagree or something. Mm -hmm. They might go, oh, you'll keep painting this shirt, Peter, so it must be this, you know, mm -hmm. this memory of such. Well, maybe some of that's true. I'm not saying it isn't. Uh, there's no truth in it. But uh, I think lang words in the conventional, I mean, like by language, conventional language changes uh, how you read an image. So Terry Atkinson has done drawings of... Uh, war scenes and he's in different exhibitions he's retitled them with a different title and I've heard him saying that I was as the artist who made it I reserve the right to change the title so when the Gulf War happened some of the drawings he'd done for some other scenario were relabeled and there were still people killing people or whatever they were you know, you know they might obviously in some details they might be the same but so that's again what Roland Watts is that the text so, and he says, in our society, there are no exceptions. There is always a text. So cartoons have text underneath yes. or with them or in them. Um, pictures in newspaper have the text, which is the article, and they have a caption. Uh, adverts have text, or like I said a minute ago, uh, what else is it? Any images, paintings, have titles, and a framework, which is called artists. So we could also, we, we could put that in terms of context, because also yeah. context has meaning, and also the various texts that exist around things don't 
when the whole narrative has changed yeah. through it's more or less through captioning it's taking situations which already exist and yeah. explaining because what they're doing now with all the Boris Johnson, with all the Brexit, you can hear it on the like you were saying before about um, you know these people in Kent or somewhere yeah. say this. That's what the media do. They take it. They maybe interview ten people, and then they take the interview. They take the quotations that they they can make by contextual manipulation, mean a certain type of thing in that framework, and then they play that as though it's you know a completely uh, open situation where they've control. They haven't told the people what to say. Thank you.
Chanter sur tous les tons, il y a plein de paroles dans tes chansons qui parlent de qui, de quoi, de quoi donc. Paname, moi c'est tes yeux, moi c'est ta peau que je veux baiser comme il faut, comme savent baiser les gigolos. Paname. Range tes marlots, range tes bistrots, range tes pépés, range tes ballots, range tes poulets, range tes autos. Paname, et viens m'aimer comme autrefois, la nuit surtout quand toi et moi, on marchait vers on ne savait quoi. Paname, Y'a des noms de rues que l'on oublie C'est dans ces rues qu'après minuit Tu me faisais voir ton petit Paris Paname Quand 
du chalet dans tes klaxons Perdu là-bas parmi les hommes Tu venais vers moi comme une vraie môme Paname Ce soir j'ai envie de danser De danser avec tes pavés Que le monde regarde avec ses pieds Paname T'es belle tu sais Sous tes lampions Des fois quand tu pars en saison Dans les bras d'un accordéon Paname T'habilles avec du bleu Ça fait sortir les amoureux Qui disent à Paris Tous les deux Paname Quand tu t'habilles avec du gris Les couturiers n'ont qu'un souci C'est de foutre en gris Toutes les souris Paname tu t'ennuies, tu fais les quais Tu fais la scène et les noyés Ça fait prendre l'air et ça distrait Paname, c'est fou ce que tu peux faire oser Mais les gens savent pas qui tu es Ils vivent chez toi mais te voient jamais Paname Soleil a mis son pyjama Toi tu t'allumes et dans tes bas Y'a Monsieur Haussmann qui te fait du plat Paname Monte avec moi, combien veux-tu Y'a 2000 ans que t'es dans la rue Des fois que je te refasse une vertu Paname si tu souriais, j'aurais ton charme Si tu pleurais, j'aurais tes larmes Si on te frappait, je prendrais les armes Paname, tu n'es pas pour moi qu'un frisson Qu'une idée, qu'une fille à chanson Et c'est pour ça que je crie ton nom Paname Des palais, auras-tu quand janvier lâchera ses forêts durant les noirs ennuis des neigeuses soirées, un tison pour chauffer tes deux pieds violets, 
ranimeras-tu donc tes épaules marbrées aux nocturnes rayons qui perçaient les volets Sentant ta bourse à sec autant que ton palais, récolteras-tu l'or des voûtes azurées Il te faut pour gagner ton pain de chaque soir, comme un enfant de cœur joué de l'encensoir. Chanter des tédéums auxquels tu ne crois guère Où saltin bon cajun étaler tes appâts Et ton rire trempé de pleurs qu'on ne voit pas Pour faire épanouir la rate du vulgaire I've been listening to I Stop Go here on Resonance on a 4.4 FM. This week's edition, loosely entitled Unprepared Piano Stories, um, featured a number of field recordings, ambient sounds, time spent with friends, and filling up water tanks on river boats, narrow boats on the River Thames. And today, particularly, featured the ticking clock which is possibly up to 200 years old, we're not really sure, but I was lucky enough to put my Zoom recorder inside, which picked up not only the ticking of the clock, reminding us, as Greta Thunberg so beautifully puts, time really is running out, but also picked up some of the sounds of the nice old house we spent the weekend in last week. And so you've got the voices of, which means the collaboration, and special guests of Pippa Small, Alex Small, Stuart Small, Young Twigs, Madhu and Mac. Piano Stories by Julian, uh, refurbishment work by Alvise and Rebecca, who's also the most magnificent hostess. Um, we've also got excerpts from some extended conversations that we'll be featuring more of in the up-and-coming season of Ice Topica with... Artist and art critic Peter Suchin today, he's talking about the notion of the subtitle via Roland Barthes. I hope you enjoyed that. And, as ever, you can find further details and previous episodes of Ice Topica on my website, being www.theculture.net. So, remember, time is running out. This is Resonance FM. This is Ice Topica. This is Simon Tishko, signing off for another seven days. Hope to see you all soon. Bye. This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can support Isotopica by going directly to our website being www.theculture.net slash support. All the engineers, program makers and artists at Resonance FM provide their work on a voluntary basis. Resonance FM can be found at resonancefm.com. Thank you for listening to Resonance FM.